Well, if you have your Bible, would you flip to 1 Peter chapter 4? 1 Peter chapter 4 has been a section of Scripture that I've come to um, draw a lot from myself in my own personal life and understanding about the body of Christ, understanding about how we all are ministers in, an, in every different type of aspect, that we all minister in some area, and we all must minister by the grace of God. We all must minister by the Spirit of God, the anointing and the power of God. That not just the person who gets up and um, preaches behind a pulpit needs to be anointed. It's not just the person that lays hands on a healing line or a prayer line that needs to be anointed. Believers are meant to be anointed every hour of the day, every minute of the day. To be anointed means to, to have the Spirit of God empowering you. It's not just resting on you because we know we've got the Spirit of God in us, but it means to be totally led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In order to be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you've, of course, got to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, right? Because if Jesus had just decided to go for a swim when he should be preaching, um, you know, the anointing is in what God's called you to do. That's where, that's where the, the power is. Whatever God's told you to do, whatever God's called you to do, there's the power. That's where it is. The first thing you've got to do is hear. The first thing you've got to do is hear his voice and say, where do I fit? Because I know that I do fit in the body of Christ. If you don't think you fit in the body of Christ, then, then, then you're going to run into a lot of problems. Because what you're going to end up doing is either you're going to feel rejected and withdraw, or you're going to try to model yourself after somebody else. It's okay to have people you look up to in the faith. You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But... You can't imitate them in every area. Hebrews says, uh, remember those who went before you. It says, imitate their faith. It's good to imitate somebody's faith. You don't imitate everything they do because God has not called you to be a clone of that person. The only one we're really meant to, make, uh, to be a copy of is Jesus Christ. If we can look at him, we can say, I can imitate him in every way and I will be on the right track. But you can't imitate a person because that person is, not the, is often not the same body part that you are. So a nose tries to be an ear, a finger tries to be a foot. These things don't work. We all know that that wouldn't work. That doesn't pull together. It doesn't operate properly. And you're going to be frustrated, right? You're going to be frustrated if you were specially designed by the, by the creator, specially designed to be a nose, and you can smell better than anybody else, but you spend all your life trying to hear. How much frustration is that? You'd think that you're doing something wrong, you don't fit in, I, I, I must not be a good Christian, I must not be a good believer, because I can't hear like that ear can hear, but that's because you weren't designed to hear. Now, every I, don't take that too literally, because we're all designed to hear the voice of the Spirit. I'm talking about you're not designed to be another body part. And you're not designed to be lo- just like your neighbor, or just like your, the preacher, you're just designed to be exactly the way God created you to be. We've talked about this before, but it's so important, it comes up all the time. And let's read in 1 Peter 4 what the scripture says about the matter. It says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's talking about resisting the flesh. He's talking about resisting the the lusts and the desires of the flesh, as Christ did. And he says that we arm ourselves with the same thing Christ had in, in the second verse, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer. For the lusts of men. That means you no longer live for the same reasons you used to live. 
I mean, when you got born again, it wasn't just um, it wasn't just about the end of your life. It wasn't just about the heaven part. It's about now. Heaven needs to be a part of now, doesn't it? Eternity has to be a part of right now. And so when I get born again, this is not just going to affect my life after death. This is affecting my life now. And one of the biggest ways it affects you is that you no longer live for the same reasons you used to live. The reason you get up, the reason you do what you do, the reason you talk like you talk, the the relationships in your life, they're all different. They're for different reasons. In the world, relationships are primarily to fulfill needs that you have. You may have certain people that you're, you know, when you're in the world, you may have certain people that you're using to get to where you want to get. You may have certain people in your life that you genuinely love, but they're there primarily because you needed a friend or you need someone to love you. But when we receive Jesus, we have relationships where we're just our only goal is to give, is to pour out, is to bless. Our only goal is to be in their life what God wants us to be in their life, what Jesus would be in their life. And they are going to do something for us, too. But that's not why we get in relationships, not why we have friends. It's not why we talk to somebody so we can get something. The reason you go to work has changed. The reason you um, go to church has changed. I mean, there are unbelievers that go to church for some strange reasons. The reason we come is completely different. Is this cutting in and out, by the way? No? Okay. A little bit. I I hope it comes through on the recording. So, that to say... We live for the lust of the flesh no longer. You don't live for your desire anymore. In in fact, I'm sorry, the desire of the flesh, because you do have a desire now, but your desire has changed. If you have a desire that comes from the Spirit, it's a strong desire if you'll listen to it. It's a strong desire if you'll yield to it. And it's one of the best things in life is to have a life that's motivated by a spiritual desire, a desire that God puts in your life. Here's what he says. We live for for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer. For the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So if we're not living in the flesh, what are we living in? The spirit. The flesh lives for its own lusts. The spirit lives for the will of God. This is how we live. Now, this just takes the whole idea of Christianity being a cool hobby right out of it, doesn't it? Or an interesting thing that people know about you. An interesting thing is... You know, what's something you don't know about me? Well, I'm also a Christian. Or or it colors my character. It it inspires me day to day to live differently. Christianity, in fact, a life following Jesus and being filled with his spirit is about more than just being inspired. It's about being transformed. It's about being empowered and not just inspired, but empowered through your daily life. Here's what he says. For the time already passed... So the, the, the time that's behind you now is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. You may say, that wasn't my past. How dare you? Uh, yeah, but it all comes from the same place. Even if you were a totally moral, as the world calls it, totally clean living person, but you spent all your life trying to get rich and famous, it would be the same thing. It's all the same source. It's that flesh trying to gratify itself. It's living for yourself. And here's what it says. In all this, they are surprised, your old buddies, your old friends, your old compadres, they are surprised that you not run with them in the same accesses 
sorry, excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. And I'm sure many of you have noticed this. If you were born again in the last few years, if you, I mean, if you didn't grow up um, born again at an early age, if you got born again later, in fact, even if you were born again at an early age and you've maybe through your work or through other uh, social events that you've become involved with people that are of a different uh, belief system than you, have you ever noticed that they'll go out of your way, out of their way to try to get you to lower your standards? That they're really frustrated when, when you just say, no, I don't, want, I don't want to drink that, I don't want to say that, I don't want to do that. All of a sudden, you're in a different class. I remember there was a, there was a friend, and uh, she was a very popular girl, very, uh, grew up just very innocent, grew up in the church. And I remember how, you know, she got hooked up with the wrong friends and, and was under the impression I mean, it's, it's okay to have friends that aren't born again as long as you're influencing them, you know, as long as they're not the ones influencing you. As long as you're having an effect on their life positively, that's, that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, if those are your only friends, there's going to be an issue because you've got to be encouraged, right? You've got to have somebody that's going to pick you up and not be happy that you fail down. And uh, these friends would, would have her come to all the parties, and, of course, she, you know, she didn't believe God wanted her to drink, so she wouldn't drink at these parties, and of course, these were not just, uh, these were people getting wildly drunk, too, on top of everything, and uh, doing some pretty crazy things, and of course, she'd get to these parties, and she just wouldn't drink, I'll have a Coke, which of course, as you know, is kind of a, a funny thing, because I can't imagine going to some of these parties, and being sober, and having a good time, you know what I mean, you ever been surrounded by drunk people, and said, these are the best people in the world, I mean, when you're drunk, I imagine these are fun people. I don't know, but I would imagine when someone's drunk, this is a funny joke. But when, you know, when you're not drunk and you're around a bunch of drunk people, this is not the best time in the world. She was so desperate for these relationships that she would go to these parties and she would drink a Coke. And inevitably, she said every time she'd turn her head, every time she'd get up to go to the bathroom, somebody would be attempting to sneak something in her Coke. Always. Do you know, this is strange because most people don't want to give up their valuable drink. Most people don't want to give up their drugs too easily. I mean, I mean, you have to pay them for these things. But somehow, when you've declared yourself as a believer and, and you've said, this, isn't, this is my standard and I'm not going to sink to it, all of a sudden, they malign you for it. That means that they put you down for it. That means they despise you for it. They don't like somebody having a different standard than them. They may not understand why you have a different standard. It's not because, you know, you have this, all th- this magical holier-than-thou attitude, but it is because you've been renewed in the inner man. It's because you realize that life isn't about what it used to be about. But for this girl, she surrounded herself with friends that were constantly trying to bring her down, constantly try- hoping that she'd come down to their level instead of saying, I want to come up to your level. And it says here, That these people are surprised that you don't run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. They're surprised that your life has changed. They're surprised that you won't do the same things you used to do. And they don't like it. You just have to get used to that. Not everybody has to like everything you say and everything you do. You could still respond in love. I mean, you can be a very genuinely loving person and people still don't like you. 
It's not saying here you need to be a jerk about it. It's not saying you have to go to their house and, and, and pick it with cardboard signs. It just says, they're, why are they mad at you? They're not mad at you because you've been condemning them. They're mad at you because your, your actions have been a source of conviction for them. Because your actions have been on a different level than theirs. And that's not comfortable for anybody. And so they malign you. But in verse 5, it says this. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So, in other words, don't worry about them. They'll give an account for their own life. You've got to give an account for your own life. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Isn't that awesome? You, you may be judged. People will judge you in the flesh. They'll judge you just as normal men. They'll judge you by the things you do, the things you say. However, it says you don't have to walk in the flesh any longer. Now, here's the option. The gospel says, though you may be judged in the flesh as men, you may live in the spirit. Now, to live in the spirit is kind of like saying I live on planet earth. You're not living elsewhere. I mean, living in the spirit is a permanent thing. It should be a permanent thing. I mean, this is not a Sunday, Wednesday thing. This is a life thing. I live in the Spirit. I live by the Spirit. I live through the Spirit. That's where I draw from is the Spirit. That's where I get my ideas. That's where I get my motivation. That's where I make my decisions from the Spirit. You have an option to live out of that Spirit and live in the Spirit. And it says, if you live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Verse 7 says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. So a sober spirit is a spirit that's not carried away by every fad. A sober spirit is a spirit that's not influenced by every voice. A sober spirit is not easily distracted. A sober spirit says, this is why I'm here. Have you ever stopped and just said that? In the middle of the day, why am I doing what I do? Whether you're building a house, working on the rigs, cutting hair, whatever you're doing, why am I doing this right now? Why am I doing what I'm doing? It's okay if you're going to Disneyland and you ask yourself that question to say, for a break. You know, God's not going to say, that doesn't sound very sober to me. I think going on the Dumbo ride is anything but sober. He may tell you not to go to Disney World. That's not my prerogative, but I I think he's probably okay if you go. But the issue is everything we do in life, we should and can have a good reason for. And you can ask yourself, what is my motivation today? Where are my thoughts today? Because you've got to control those thoughts. They're yours to control. Everything you do can have a reason behind it. But when you're in the world, you kind of just, it's, it's like water running downhill. You kind of run where the path of least resistance is. That's how people live their life. You have a few that, that will rise above and a few that, that will pursue a goal. And they'll spend all their life pursuing that goal only to find out that that goal wasn't what they thought it was. We see too many people die young or too many people in deep depression because they reach what they've chased and they realize it wasn't what they thought. But you look around and you see most people, it's, it's almost like an animal. 
This is what our, our nature that we got from God, created in his image, is so unlike the animals. It's so higher. It's like him. You're able to think. You're able to have a will. You have a conscience. All of these wonderful things. The, I mean, you're able to love from a pure heart. But the further and further we get from God, the more and more we become like the rest of the animals, just doing what we feel like doing. Isn't that what a dog does? Isn't that what every animal does? They just follow instinct and they just do what they feel they're supposed to do. They're just led around. And that's okay. That's the way God created them. But that's not the way God created you. You've got to realize that you've got a renewed spirit. Your mind is being renewed and your flesh is not yet renewed. So if I'm going to walk, am I going to walk according to the flesh, which still acts sometimes and still wants some things that, that, uh, you know, God didn't create me to want? Or am I going to walk by the spirit that's created in his likeness? That's the difference. You're not a beast. You're not an animal. If you listen to a lot of the uh, love songs on the radio, a lot of them are very animal-like. There's one that even says, like the Discovery Channel. It's a sick and perverse song, but it's basically saying, hey, we're just mammals. Let's just do what we think we should do. Let's just, let's just act like mammals. Let's just act like animals. And we're not just mammals. We're not just beasts. We're created in the image of God. And your spirit knows that. So to be sober in spirit does not mean to be boring. Thank God. I mean, if you read this whole chapter and we'll get through a lot of it, you're going to realize that this does not mean to be boring. Because, I mean, I've said this before. I've been sober all my life. Unless somebody drugged me without me knowing, I've been sober and I've had a lot of fun. You know, I've really enjoyed life. I know. I don't regret it. I think I've had more fun because I remember it. I, I, I can truly feel like I experience it. To be sober does not mean to be boring. Sometimes we see that image in our mind. The minute someone says sober, you, you see the somber face. Right? With puckered lips. But that's not sober. A sober spirit says, this is what I'm here for. This is why I'm doing it. And takes account of things. The sober spirit is not altered. In, in, it's, not, uh, it's not adversely affected. It's not, it's not um, unclear. To be sober in spirit is a wonderful thing. You know why you're here. You know, you know who put you here. And you know your purpose in life. And everything in your life revolves around that purpose. It says... Be of sound judgment and of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. That this is going to affect your prayer life. And I wonder if, if this verse, I mean, every time I read this verse, it says to me a couple of things. But one of the things it says is that prayer must be more important than we often give it credit for. If we're meant to be of sound judgment and sober spirit, all for the purpose of prayer, prayer is a big deal. And uh, the more we, we are able to operate in sound judgment and that spirit that is not, that's not being led astray, it's not being blown around by every wind, that's not being uh, tossed to and fro, but, but is, is directed, is focused, we're able to pray with power. And he says this, above all, keep fervent. So above all means just that, above all, above everything else, keep fervent in your love for one another. This is a huge statement. 
Because there's no way of getting around the fact that it says above everything else. When something above everything else, it's the most important, right? Keep fervent in your love for one another. Does fervent love sound passive? Does it sound cold? Fervent love sounds intense. I mean, it sounds like you're giving everything. I mean, it sounds like um, there are a lot of other issues that we can put aside for the purpose of love that can get worked out later because fervency of love is the top thing. I was remarking the other day, as we know there's been some terrible, awful attacks in Norway recently. And what I hate, and I hate, I hate the fact that it happened in the first place. Another thing I hate is that the word Christian fundamentalist gets thrown around. Don't you hate that? Some guy that goes and murders a bunch of people because he doesn't like them, because he doesn't agree with them, is anything but a Christian fundamentalist. The world likes to use the word fundamentalist to mean a hateful, bigoted person. But let me tell you, fundamentalist to me means that you are putting the emphasis on the fundamentals. And the greatest fundamental I can find in the New Testament, in the Bible, in God, is love. The greatest Christian fundamental is love. It's the highest. It's, it's, he says it in 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest of these is love. In this verse, he says, above all, keep fervent in your love. Above all, that's the fundamental. 1 John says, God is love. So now, in those three verses, we've got three different people speaking by the Spirit of God, saying the same thing. Above everything else, there is love that should define you. As believers, that should define why you get up, that should define why you pray. When you pray out of a spirit of love, you pray differently. When you pray out of a spirit of love, I mean, that's that's probably the best way to focus your prayer. It's probably the best way to focus your spirit because no longer are you just all over the place. Now you're able to pray with the same heart that God has because his heart is love. So some wacko goes off and shoots a bunch of people and they call it Christian fundamentalists when really they should be looking at the greatest lovers, the greatest lovers of humanity. I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm talking about pour your life out love and say that is an extreme Christian fundamentalist. They gave their life for others. They showed us what Jesus looked like. Jesus is the ultimate Christian fundamentalist. You didn't see him go shoot somebody. Thank God. It says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Well, that's just talking about your, your body. This is talking about the church. And he's saying, if you're fervent in your love for one another, because he's, you know, we're meant to be loving towards the world. We're not meant to show them the love of Jesus. But here, he's talking about our love for one another. And he says, the reason is, is that love covers a multitude of sins. When you're loving each other, other things can go wrong and love fills in the blanks. Things can have gaps and love fills the gaps. We can be somewhat not perfect, but working towards it and still function. Isn't that great? Because you know what? When you don't love each other, you can, ha- you can have all your parts down pretty good. And still, it sounds disgusting. 1 Corinthians 13 says it sounds like a clanging cymbal, like a gong, a noisy gong. You know, you have, I mean, it's like every instrument being so perfect in their parts. 
but still sounding terrible together, still being out of tune. Wouldn't that be kind of something that, uh, you know, would, would ruin the experience for you? If, if the violinist, if the cellist, if the piccolos, if everybody knew their part inside and out, and yet their instruments were out of tune, you wouldn't say that was great. Even if they did everything perfectly. And you hear them by themselves and they sound good, right? Because there's nothing to compare it with. But when they're together, it sounds gross and, and mismatched and, 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 you know, dissonant. And you don't like it. Well, that's the same thing that happens even when, when a church gets together and everybody knows their parts and everybody knows the word and they know how to pray and they know how to preach. But if there's no love, it doesn't work. And you can have everybody that's, that's you know, working towards perfection, but it doesn't feel like it. And conversely, you can have a church with people that are pretty messed up. But there's love. There's the love of God there. And though they're doing their best and, and you go, oh, my goodness, they've got so far to go. But they're trying. They're, they're going that direction. But there's love. It still works. And you go, hey, this is working. Above everything. Above every other attempt at doing things a certain way. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Now, that, in my mind, has got to take action. It's got to take thought. It's got to take intention because you wouldn't have to say it if you didn't have to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? That love comes from Jesus, so it's his work, not our work. But I think you've got to put your intention towards it. You've got you've to make up your mind that you're going to love. Don't you know that? We know that. We've experienced that. There are plenty of times you've got to make up your mind that says, I mean, this person is just rubbing you the wrong way or this is not going right. This, this situation is messed up. And you've got to have in your mind, above all, above everything else, the most important thing is that my love is fervent. Not just present, fervent. I think we can move on. Verse 9 says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. So uh, that explains itself, doesn't it? Be hospitable. I don't think that just means open up your home, although that's a big part of it. I I think that also means... um, to be a servant, but without complaint. Because if you complain, you're no longer serving. It says this, as each one, as each one, there's nobody left out of that, right? As each one, we've all been singled out in this verse, as each one has received, not will receive, not is going to receive, but has received a special gift, a unique gift, a particular gift. Employ it. That means use it, right? Put it to work. As each one's received a gift, use it. Now, we could just stop the verse right there and it'd still be awesome, right? Has each one has received a gift, use it. How do we use it? What do we use it for? Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, I... We've preached on this several times. I know this is not the first time we've gone to this verse. This is a, but this is a real cornerstone verse. And uh, you may have heard me say this before, but I remember looking at that verse and my mind just glazed over when I got to manifold grace of God. Manifold grace of God. That's a car part. I don't know. You, know, you just kind of skip over it and you go, all right. And so what we tend to do when we're reading the Bible is if we don't understand a part, we just kind of cut it out in our brains and and fit the rest of the verse together. So here's how I would have read it. As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the grace of God. Because you know what? That makes just as much sense. But let's 
As you study out the word here, it's hard to find an English word to match this Greek word, pikilos. I used to pronounce it poikilos. But fortunately, we have good Greek friends that that, that will help you out when you mispronounce a word. Closest I can get is pikilos. And I I learned what this word meant in Greece, so it feels legit. And uh, one late night in the Coconuts' home in uh, Maduvi, I cornered them in the kitchen and said, tell me, what does this word really mean? And, and through studying through, through their word and through studying the, the original language and studying different scholars, it's, it's fun to find out what this means because this turns out that this is a word, like I said, there's not a real good English word for it, but it shows up in various places. For instance, when Joseph's coat, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek and they talk about his coat, we say of many colors, Right? This word is used to describe that coat. When you go to the market and there's different fruits of different shapes and different colors, they use this word. This word means diverse, different shapes, different colors. I mean, it, 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 it just kind of describes something that's, that's just not plain. It's not one note. It's, it's, it's filling all these different gaps. It's, 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 it's very diverse. It's very unique. It's many-shaped, many-colored. This is the grace of God. Now, that's cool for me because I realized that when the grace of God appears in my life, I'm not talking about the grace of God that got you born again. I'm talking about the grace of God to do what you're called to do, to live how you're called to live. That grace looks different in everybody because the world needs more than one thing. And they need more than one type of person. And there's a shape over here that needs, there's a, there's, a, there's a hole over here that is a certain shape that you fit in. You know, that the grace of God in you can fill that. There's colors that need to be filled. There's parts that need to be played. And this is what it says, that we employ it in serving one another. That's what a gift does. So this is how you judge it. If you, I mean, if you're saying, well, I want to know how I'm meant to use the gift that God's given me. You want to know if, some, if you're using it properly? Is it serving or is it promoting yourself? Because if somebody uses a gift to further themselves, that's not the proper way to use that gift. It's abusing the gift. Somebody uses it to establish their own business, to establish their own ministry, to establish their own personality, to establish themselves and promote themselves. It's being abused. A gift is used to serve one another as Jesus served us. It says also it is as good stewards. That means good users, good managers, good, good participators, perhaps good stewards of the many colored, many shaped, many sized grace of God. Now, why I like this verse so much is it makes me understand that there are different types of people in the body of Christ that should always be different types of people. You know what I mean? It's so easy to see a hero and say, I want to be like that hero. And so you start to be like that hero when God's called you to be exactly like he's made you to be. This doesn't mean that you settle back into your own personality habits and settle back into the way you've always been because we walk by the spirit and not the flesh. So if you say, well, I've always, you know, that makes sense. That makes me feel better because I love to sleep until noon every day. And I just know that that's the grace of God. No, it's not. 
You can't use that excuse for everything. Why are you so, why are you so, why are you so abrupt with people? Well, that's just the grace of God's different in me than it is in you. Well, no, maybe you need to walk by the spirit some more. This is not uh, uh, this is not an excuse to just be whoever you feel like being. This is a call to be who God made you to be. That's going to look different. It's always going to look different. So so you don't look at somebody and say, I want to be like that hero. You can say, I want to be like them in faith. I want to walk in that power. But ultimately, you're going to look different. Because if you try to imitate a spiritual result by the flesh, you'll never get there. And you'll be frustrated in the process. So it's good to know that, that I, I, can, I can be led, I can, I can serve, and I can employ that gift as a good steward of the manifold, many-shaped, many-colored, many-sized grace of God. It looks different in all of us. And it's going to fit you. It's going to fit you better than anybody else's armor will fit you, and better than anybody else's clothes will fit you. It's made for you. And this takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? I don't have to be like somebody else. I can be like me. It's always been weird for me. Let me tell you. It's always been weird for me. And, and I know that, you know, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of the people, a lot of people that we, we would uh, have listened to often had different accents. Right? There's not a lot of, you know, there's a lot more now. But back in the day, there weren't as many Canadian preachers that we you know we were going out and buying the, the cds or tapes or whatever and and so it was always weird for me i'll tell you growing up in the church it's always a little odd when people would be talking to you very saskatchewan accent very alberta accent and then the minute they start praying it's like they're from texas you ever notice that like, why are you doing this <laughs> god i just ask you oh praise the lord i just i just thank you god that you have called us. You know, I'm like, you're from Manitoba. What are you doing? <laughs> but it's spiritual to pray this way. No, it's not. You don't have to be like them. You be like you. God needs you. And God speaks your language. If he didn't speak your language, if he didn't understand a Saskatchewan accent, he's surely not going to understand a Texas accent. He would, I mean... If, if that were the case, we should all just learn Hebrew. He speaks your language. And he needs you to speak your language to other people that speak your language. There's going to be people you come across that go... I'm, let's just face it. There's going to be people that, that will listen to you because you talk the way you talk. Because of the fact that, you, that you're just like them, but you have an anointed, empowered life living by the Spirit. And all of a sudden they go, you know what? I can do this too. Just be who God made you to be. And if that's a little weird to some people, they'll get used to it. Galatians says, if we had tried to please men, we wouldn't have been bondservants of Jesus Christ. You can't live your life trying to fit into everybody else's mold. You've got to fit into Christ's mold. You've got to fit into what he's created you to be. It says, don't conform to the world, but be transformed. Now, don't be conformed to fit into a little mold that's, that's going to limit the grace of God in you. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed means totally, totally, completely different. And God's called you to that. That's your life. Not a conformed life, a transformed life. If you conform to anything, conform to the image of the Son. Not the image of somebody else. 
Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Whether that's mopping the floor or praying for people in the back room or feeding homeless people, whatever you're doing, do it in the strength of God. It's very easy to do servant tasks in your flesh, but you can do so much more. It's very easy to do servant type tasks out of what you know or what you've seen practiced. But if you'll, if you'll walk in the same faith and expect the same anointing when you're feeding people as this preacher does when he preaches or somebody when they're laying hands on somebody, you'll be walking in the power of God, whatever you're doing. It's very easy for us to model ourselves after successful companies or successful nonprofits in the world that are doing the same thing. You want to help orphans in Africa? You say, well, let's just do what they're doing. But here's the deal. God may have a better way. In fact, I know he's got a better way. He says, I still want you to help those orphans in Africa, but I want you to do it in the power of God. Can you do that? You know, um, you've heard me tell this story many times. But not too many that you can't hear it again. When um, one time I was, I was going to preach a week-long youth conference um, in Onion Lake. And, and I love those people in Onion Lake. Praise God for them. I had just such such wonderful time with them. But there were a lot of people that weren't from the church that came out for the meetings, which is great. Um, but they had some real real-life issues that were pretty big. I mean, I, I just, you know, and, and many of them were not connecting at first because, you know, they hadn't. They're, they're not like us. Some of us, um, these, some of these kids were not like some of us who've been in church and know how to sit still and know how to listen, right? Some of these teenagers really had some real issues and they're looking for real answers. And, um, you know, that requires real power. And first couple times I thought, well, you know, I'll go. And I realized that some of these guys aren't churched. And so um, I'm just going to do my best to, to, to be really... Um, really animated and, and, and funny and, and use some great stories to keep them involved, keep them hooked in, you know. And I, I saw, I mean, I'm running all over the place. I'm, I'm really putting it all out there. And, and we're, we're preaching from the word, but to be honest, just between you and me, there was a little bit too much of me just trying to keep their attention. And at the end of the service, you've kept their attention, but you haven't changed their life. They're going to get to heaven and say, thank you for keeping me sitting still for an hour. You know, I don't think so. I don't think that somebody who's about to end their life really strongly considering killing themselves that week is really going to feel good about the fact that, you know what, at least I had a couple good laughs before I went. Nothing wrong with making people laugh, but that's not the goal. So I was having a hard time and, and, uh, you know, I said, well, I just got to keep plugging away. I mean, a good soldier, you just keep, keep going, keep preaching. God said to Jeremiah, don't look at their faces. I'm just going to keep going. And I sat down on my computer because I was driving out there every day. And I sat down on my computer, and uh, there was a track on my computer that didn't have a name, just untitled. And, of course, as my wife will tell you, I am probably the most curious person on the planet. So... I have to know what that is. I can't drive to Onion Lake and not know what that track is. It says untitled. 
that's not good for me. I have to know. So I clicked on it. It was just by itself. It's untitled track. I click on it. And it is the remnants. It's the last track. And I don't know how it gets separated from everything else. But it is the last track from the day I was ordained into ministry as a pastor. And it was Tracy Harris in Loon Lake. And he said, I mean, this is as soon as I click on it. And I, I got like to leave in 15 minutes. And as soon as I click on it, I hear one thing that is strong in my spirit to say to you, Jonathan. Well, you've got my attention. You know, that's a good way to start. Like this is this this track is at the end of uh, end of his message. He says, one thing I have strong in my spirit to say to you, Jonathan, whatever you do, do it. And he said it like that. Do it in the power of God. And I clicked on it again, and I listened to it about five times. And every time I heard that, do it, I felt like somebody was slugging me in the stomach. Like, do it in the power of God. And I just threw away my notes. And I just said, forget this. What have I been trying to do this whole time? I've been trying, I've been relying on my ability, my natural ability as a speaker to keep people involved, to keep them. But, but God doesn't want to keep them in a chair. God wants to change their life. God is not interested in filling this building and having people sing songs and then go out the same. We've got to think like God. He, he really, 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 really is not after just having a nice crowd. He's not after having a bunch of well-dressed people who sit still during the service. He is after people that will be after his heart. He is after people that will be used by him to do great and mighty things. He's after people that will just believe in him. And so here's the deal. Whatever you do, Jonathan, do it in the power of God. I threw out my notes. I had almost an hour drive to get there. I spent that hour praying, 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 not listening to music, not listening to podcasts or sermons or anything else, praying. When I got there, the Lord had given me what I was meant to preach on, and it wasn't as funny. It wasn't as dramatic. It wasn't as animated, but I knew it was from him. As I preached it, there, you ever notice Maybe, maybe you don't notice, especially if you're sitting on the front row, but, but I notice from time to time when people are hearing the word and it's starting to affect them, their, their body changes, their posture changes. Sometimes their legs start shaking like this. Not that they're uncontrollably shaking, but they're just like, okay. You ever have that feeling like, hurry up and wrap it up. I want to get doing this right now. I remember reading a book in the van, dad was driving to Loon Lake, and I remember reading this book, and I, I just like, you know, just pull the van over. I, I want to do what this book is saying. I'm that excited. And all of a sudden, you begin to watch some of these people that were not connecting at all now on the edge of their seat. And when they came up, as we prayed over these kids, you saw power. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to, to you know, to, to amplify anything that I did or said, but to show you the pure power of God that many of these kids, and I know it sounds like, it sounds cliche, but I had several of them that were this close to suicide. And I had a couple that were addicted to drugs, and the next day when I came back, they had flushed them all down the toilet. I had a couple 
that were pregnant at a very young age gave their heart to Jesus and said, now I'm going to keep the baby. And you go, would they have done that if they had laughed a couple more times? Would that have done it for them? Or is it the power of God? It's the power of God that changes people. And so all of that to say that he expects you to expect the same power when you're serving as when you're preaching or praying. Whatever you do, did you hear that? Whatever you do. It doesn't say every time you preach. It doesn't say every time you, you pray for people in a line. It says whatever you do, do it in the power of God. And that will change your life. See, that will make you more sober in spirit because all of a sudden you're going through life saying, what am I doing? Can this be done in the power of God? Absolutely. Whatever you do, do it in the power of God. It says that when we serve by the strength which God supplies, here's the result. When we preach as if God is speaking through us, here's the result. So that in all things, that means everything that every believer puts their hand to, in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? This is why we do it in the power of God. This is why we preach in the power of God. This is why we serve in the power of God. This is why we love fervently. This is why we have to use the gift that God gave you. No matter how weird it feels to you, it is not weird, it's manifold. Your gift has to look different than my gift or we don't get it all done. Or not everybody's reached. Or not every gap is filled. Puzzle pieces, when you've got a puzzle, you don't need all the pieces to be exactly the same. You need them unique, don't you? Or else it doesn't work. When we do this, God is glorified, not just in preaching, not just in giving, not just in singing, but in all things he's glorified. And he, it, it, the glory belongs to him. So as believers, can we accept that the grace of God has to be manifold? This means it has to be different shapes, different sizes. This means there's going to be friends in your life that wouldn't have been your friends when you were in the world. That you have got nothing in earthly common with them. I mean, just all of a sudden, these friends in your life are friends because there's glue that God has provided in that relationship. That you're just, the, the thing you've got in common is that we are born again and we're living for the same cause. And that's a way better, way greater, way more lasting bond than we both like hockey. You can be friends with people that you never would have talked to otherwise. Because... You realize that God's the glue and the grace of God is so manifold that some people are going to be totally different than me, but we're working together. I love in Philippians 2 when it says, make my joy complete. By being of, well, you know what, let's read it. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 and we'll, we'll wrap it up right after this. Philippians chapter 2, we'll start with verse 1. He says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. You see that? Being of the same mind. 
Now, we just finished talking about how we're, we're so different. We're meant to be different. We're meant to be unique. We're meant to be our own character that God's created. And yet, he says, of the same mind. Do you know in the scripture it says we have the mind of Christ? We use it when we're taking tests and stuff. And that's fine and that's good. But that's not the original context. The original context isn't you'll be smart like Jesus. The original context is you'll, you'll, we, ha- we have the mind of Christ means we're thinking along the same lines he's thinking. We know what he wants. We know his will. We have the mind of Christ. Now, certainly, I, I can give you a dozen scriptures that tell you that God's going to enable you to take that test and pass it if you'll rely on him. Absolutely. So I'm not saying you're wrong to say that. But I'm saying also when we say we have the mind of Christ, notice it says we have the mind of Christ. We may quote it, I have the mind of Christ, but it says we. Because we together need to have the mind of Christ. Paul says in a couple of places, you see him say, I believe I have the mind of the Lord on this. You've probably heard preachers say that, right? What does that mean? I have the mind of the Lord. It means I know where we're supposed to go. And it says we have the mind of Christ. We know what he's aiming for. So that's what we're aiming for. It says be of the same mind. Maintaining the same love. United in one spirit. Intent on one purpose. The beautiful thing of this. And he goes on to one of the best scriptures in the entire New Testament when he begins to talk about your motivation and how Jesus laid his life down, took the form of a bondservant, humbled himself, therefore God exalted him. That's a great thing. I mean, you, you need to read that on your own time. But here's what we're getting at. The scripture tells us we're meant to be unique, that, that the grace of God shows up in different ways, but it also says we're of the same mind, the same spirit, intent on one purpose. So we judge... How well we're employing that, number one, by is it serving one another? Number two, is it glorifying God, right? Because that's what it says. If, we, if this is the grace of God, it will glorify God. But then also, is it working towards the common goal of the kingdom? Because in the flesh, we all had our own goals, our own designs. But where we're walking in the spirit, we're walking towards the same place. It's like different members of the symphony playing different parts, but the same song. The last time Tia and I were at the symphony, we decided to get different seats. We almost always sit right in front of the orchestra. But we decided to have some fun and sit in one of the balconies, the choir lofts overlooking the stage, because that would be kind of fun too. And we're, we're sitting and we're watching the, the, the percussionists. It's hilarious watching the percussionists. I'll tell you why. Because it's not like Randy here who's drumming all the time. The percussionists, it's not like they have a drum set. They have one piece of the puzzle, right? Sometimes they've got two that they'll use. But most of the time, I mean, there's the cymbal guy, and he just sits there, following in the music, until the right? And you see the guy with the snare drum. He doesn't do anything for most of the time, does he? Every now and then. You know, and, and then all of a sudden, the timpani guy gets all excited. Dum, 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 right? And, and it's fun to watch these guys Because if they were out to show everybody how good they were, they'd be doing solos all over the place. They'd be playing over there. But they know that that this is a term we've used, uh, musicians I use all the time, play for the song. 
which means you're not playing to show everybody how good you are. You're playing so that the song sounds as good as it possibly can sound. That means sometimes you've got to shut up. Sometimes that means you've got to be quieter. Sometimes that means, hey, you're the rhythm guitarist. Instead of playing a sweet you know, you know, solo at the top neck of the guitar, instead maybe you just need to be solid strumming the whole time. Because when we realize that we're different and we're unique, but we're also going towards the same goal. Those gifts are meant to be unique, but they're not meant to go in different directions. A unique, diverse group of believers are still meant to be going towards the same goal. We're just using different tools to accomplish that goal. Different different types of people, different colors, different shapes, different sounds, but all heading towards the same goal. That's a goal that's set by Christ himself. That's a goal that God imprints on us. That is not our own idea. That's his idea. So here's how you judge whether you're using that gift properly. And I'm not talking about judging after the flesh, but being, as it says, of sound judgment, of sober spirit. Here's how you know. You know if it's being used to serve one another. Check. If it's glorifying God, check. And if it's going towards the same goal, that same kingdom goal, it's working with everybody else's gift, check. Because there'll be many people who come along and go, well, I'm just unique and it's just the way I am. But everything they do clashes against everything everybody else does. That's not of the same mind, same spirit, same goal. That's doing your own thing. But when you're headed for the same goal, you've got that same heart, you're beating together as one. Then whatever God's called you to do may look like no one else on the planet, but it's going to accomplish and contribute to getting us to that goal together. All that to say, be okay with who God's made you to be. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't resent the gift that God's placed inside you. Use the gift that God's placed inside you. Use it in serving one another. God will be glorified when we do it in the power of God. God is not glorified by a gift that's buried underground. Remember the parable of the talents? The last guy buried his money in the ground because he was afraid he'd lose it. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like if I step out and do what God's called me to do, I might mess up, so I shouldn't do it at all? I shouldn't say it at all. I shouldn't speak up. I shouldn't stand up. I shouldn't go because I may do it wrong and everybody will see me do it wrong and I may mess the whole kingdom up. You're not going to mess the whole kingdom up. You can't. It's unshakable. It's better to step out and sink a little and have Jesus catch your hand than to stay in the boat the whole time. Way better. I want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you that though you may have your heroes, make Jesus the ultimate hero and let him imprint on your spirit exactly who you're meant to be. Let him imprint on you your place in the body of Christ and do what the scripture says. Employ your gift. Use it for serving one another. Don't use it for promoting yourself. Use it for serving one another. We've got a goal to accomplish and the grace of God fits every shape 
fits every color, fits every language, fits every culture, fits every pattern, fits everything. It, everybody who needs God, everybody who needs the gospel, everybody who needs to hear the voice of God, there is a gift that God's placed in the body to reach those people. And you may be the one with that gift. Or maybe it's that gift that you have combined with that gift that she has and that gift that he has that together will make that perfect cord that's going to change their life. But how will we know if we bury it? It's fun. It's, it's wonderful to be surrounded when you surround yourself with people that uh, are walking by the Spirit and they're anointed in what they're doing. But don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself with people and saying, I'm not at their level, therefore I can't do what God's called me to do. Because you know what? Everybody got to the level they're at. Everybody that's anybody in the kingdom of God got to the level they're at by serving and by just stepping out and saying, okay, Lord, I'll do what you told me to do. And everybody that's ever been a good preacher, you're not all called to be preachers behind the pulpit, but everybody that's ever been a good preacher, can I tell you, everybody I've ever talked to, was pretty scared the first time they did it. <laughs> Everybody I talked to said, I didn't want to get up in front of those people and say anything. And I'm sure it's the same for other things. I just say that because that's what I've been called to do, one of the things I've been called to do. But everybody's different. Everybody's got that grace of God working in you. What's the grace of God? It's that very force of God empowering you to do what you can't do, that is strong when you are weak, That's that lifts you up when you fall down, that empowers you when you don't know what to say, He knows what to say. When you don't know what to do, He knows what to do. So whatever you do, do it in the power of God. That in all things, Christ may be glorified. All things, God may be glorified. Then we know we're on the right track. Amen? Would you stand up? Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you so much, Lord. It's okay. It's okay to be different. It's okay to be unique. It's okay to be judged by others, perhaps as an odd duck. As long as you are walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh. As long as you take on that heart that Jesus had, that attitude that He had of a servant, and when you do that, God exalts you. He gives you a name. He gives you a place. He gives you the status that the world is looking for. He gives you His name, His place, His coat, His anointing, His grace. You're called to live an anointed life. You're not just called to listen to anointed preaching and sing anointed songs. You're called to live an anointed life. Work anointed at your job. Speak anointed wherever you talk. You're called to be anointed by Him, empowered by Him in everything you do. Father, we just thank You that You would trust us with the great treasure You've trusted us with. That You would trust us with Your power. That You trust us with Your ministry. That You trust us with Your call. That You trust us with Your vision that you trust us with your goals and your mind, that you trust us with the kingdom. And Lord, we ask you, give us the boldness to be who you called us to be. Give us the courage to step out and say, I am 
who I am by the grace of God. And His grace to me was not in vain. Give us, give us the, the, the awareness of You and who You are in us and who we are in You that we are willing to be different for the sake of Christ. That we're willing to do something that's never been done. We're willing to say something that hasn't been quite said that way before. That we're willing to fill a spot that's not already filled. Because we know that you're empowering us. We know you're in us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Put us in, put us in us a heart of love and compassion. Uh, that, that heart that, that says, above all, I love fervently. And because I love I'm going to step up and do this. Because I love, I'm going to say this. Because I love, I'm going to pray this. Because I love, I'm going to serve. Because I love, I'm going to do what you've made me to do. I've been created for this purpose. I've been designed for this. I'm ready for this.